Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Dan Haley, President and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're excited to have you back on because, one, I'd like to get kind of an update in y'all's position on what's happening. There's so much volatility. But before we get into the volatility and what's happening in Washington and uh, where your organization uh feels it's getting some wins and loses with losses with this administration. I'd like to start off by tell us a little bit about your organization. You guys are the Oil and Gas Association for Colorado. What's the mission? Yep, we're the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. We represent about 250 members across the state who represent the full value chain of oil and natural gas in, in Colorado. So I always say if you're concerned about oil and gas in Colorado, you want to be a member of COGA. We are advocates for this industry, whether that's at the state of Colorado through the regulatory process or at the legislature or working with the media or out in the public, talking to uh, Coloradans and uh, local governments about uh, the need for oil and gas, why we do this, uh, why it's important for our communities, why it's important for our state and, and our country. And Dan, that's a, a great point. Let's, let me back up and ask you to comment on that specific topic. Colorado um, is kind of been more of a state that lined up in not in my backyard mentality. It's a beautiful state and I can see why they want to protect the beautiful scenery and uh, the amazing wildlife. However, uh, we all know that we all have to have uh, oil and gas to survive. So it's a state that's gone through a lot of transition. There's been some uh, regulatory setbacks for the oil and gas industry in the state of Colorado. So bring our listeners up to speed on, in the last couple of years, you guys have really gone through some transitions. Uh, some have been really good in the way of lowering admissions and staying in air attainment, which I want to get on that. But let's discuss, first of all, the evolution of what's been happening in the state of Colorado, in your opinion. Sure. So Colorado has been uh, doing this for a very long time. The first well drilled west of the Mississippi was here in Colorado in 1860. We're a major player when it comes to oil and gas in this country. We're the fifth largest producer of crude oil, and we're the seventh largest producer of natural gas. But as you pointed out, the people of Colorado have always cared about the environment. And I always uh, <laughs> like to tell people we're the only state or, or entity that has ever turned down the Olympics. We were awarded the 1976 Winter Olympics and voters went to the polls and turned it down in 1972, largely on that environmental impact. They didn't want to expand highways. They didn't want to tear down trees to expand ski areas. They were concerned about the impact uh, that the Olympics would have on the environment and the people coming to Colorado. So uh, this goes beyond oil and gas. This is a, a state of, a full of people who really care about the air they breathe, the, the uh, world that they live in. and so. We approach it from that standpoint in Colorado. Our operators know that to work in Colorado needs, needs means that you need to meet a very high standard. And so we have always uh, known that and understood that and worked to meet the needs of local communities to make sure that we're out talking to people 
about what we're doing and, and if we're going to be near their area that they understand exactly what's going to be happening, what it's going to look like, what it's going to sound like, concerns that they may have, who they may need to call if they've got questions. And so our operators have been responsive to that. But to your broader question there, we have undergone a sea change in Colorado in terms of our politics as well over the last 10 years. And so our state has been getting more blue. Uh, Democrats control nearly every uh, every lever of power in Colorado and to the greatest uh, amount that since the 1930s, the Democrats haven't seen that much uh, authority or power in Colorado since the 1930s, uh, mid-30s. So again, we have undergone a lot of different rulemakings over the past several years, which we can talk about. Uh, but the net result of that really is something that we call the Colorado molecule. And it's that combination of the technology and innovation that we're seeing out in the field, along with uh, the regulatory structure that we have to meet in Colorado the point where we really believe we're producing among the cleanest molecules of oil and gas in the world here in Colorado. Um, well, looking at your website, and I'm going to cover that, it is impressive to see what the operators have been uh, doing. I'd also like to point out that, you know, the show primarily airs in, in one part in Texas, Houston, Texas, which of course is the oil and gas hub. Um, and I, I'll say that the regulatory environment is much different in Texas versus in Colorado. And it's kind of good to see that the environmental progress that you guys are making in, in your state um, is, is somewhat different than in Texas, yet we're seeing lower admissions, uh, greater care for the climate. And, and I want to get to that, but there are differences in the way your operators have to operate in Colorado versus in Texas things like walls that, that need to be put up around that you won't see in Texas um, and, and other things that are just impressive in the sense of seeing the great care, like you said earlier, that the state uh, is, is making and the operators stepping up to the plate and, and uh, basically kind of leading the way, like you, you were saying. Um, let's talk about uh, your environmental progress. You guys have, um, can we talk about the attainment, uh, air quality attainment, and, and tell me a little bit about how your state has is, is been able to lower the air emissions. What do you think the key is? I know you all just came off of your conference, and I'd like to talk about if something came out of your conference pertaining to this. So um, lots of information there. The first thing I'll note is what we do in Colorado may not work everywhere. And in fact, there are pieces of the, the rules that we deal with in Colorado, which don't necessarily work everywhere in Colorado either. Uh, so there are some frustrations to this. And I don't think that you know, some of the things that, that an operator may do close to a subdivision here in Colorado is something that's necessary further out in a more rural area of Colorado or a rural area of Texas. Uh, sound walls, things like that, that, that are the norm in most places in Colorado may not be necessary in a more rural place in, in the country. And so it's important just to note that. But we have been tackling this air issue for years in, in our state, and we now have real data. The state still likes to use modeling and show uh, air quality through modeling, but we've got real data that's been rolled up, thousands and thousands and thousands of measurements, ten, more, more, tens and thousands of, of air measurements, which show a really good positive story for this industry. Over the past 10 years, while our production was quadrupling here on the front range of Colorado and the Denver Julesburg Basin, our production was quadrupling, but the air data shows our ambient methane concentrations were down 50% in that same time period. Ethane concentrations were down 65% in 
and total volatile organic compounds were down 57%. And so this is coming from real, real air data, uh, NASA satellites. We've got a situation in Colorado where you've got a lot of air monitoring happening on sites. Uh, there are some sites where you'll see several air monitors from the operators monitoring the air as it goes through there, the city government's monitoring, the state's monitoring, and even activist organizations will set up uh, monitoring and, uh, equipment. And what you're seeing is really no need for concern, uh, which is a very positive thing that's happening. Now, Colorado, on top of that, that's the really good positive part of, of what's happening in our industry, seeing those uh, emissions come down. We don't have, you know, there's no more routine venting and flaring in Colorado, which is good for our operators and that that's a product that they want to sell and get down market. So you very rarely will see flaring in this state, which allows us then to, uh, you know, be able to talk about uh, producing this resource cleaner, safer, better than most anywhere uh, in the country. Um, and so those are all, I think, very positive things. What you're, what we're gonna, in the middle of working through right now are ozone issues, which are very frustrating because uh, we have a certain amount of naturally occurring ozone in Colorado that comes from the geography and then ozone that blows in from other states, places like California and, and China. Yet the state, or excuse me, the federal government continues to really tighten the regulations around ozone and the standards around ozone. So while the ozone precursors coming from industry are down, uh, we still have an ozone issue in Colorado and meeting the, the tightening standard from the federal government. So we're gonna have a rulemaking coming up in December uh, to deal with that. We likely will have reform-related gasoline in Colorado uh, beginning in 2023 or 2024. So much like California, our uh, residents here or motorists will see much higher gasoline prices uh, coming up in Colorado because of that ozone issue. So we continue to grapple with air issues here in Colorado, but the point being we're seeing really positive numbers here and it allows us to speak to uh, Coloradans about what we're doing and show them that we can be a part of the solution. If you're concerned about climate change, if you're concerned about carbon, different things uh, escaping into the atmosphere, we can show you how we're doing this in Colorado, as, as you'll hear me say a lot, better, cleaner, better, and safer than most anywhere. Do you think, Dan, that other states who also have shale plays going on or have a lot of activity are looking to what you guys are doing in the way that you're monitoring it and it's having a, a leading effect. Um, I know you said earlier that not every state is the same and even in within Colorado, not every area is the same. Yeah. But I'm wondering how much modeling is coming out of the, the work and the things, the technology that you guys are implementing because it seems like your state is a little ahead in yeah. the way of requirements and, and not even maybe requirements, operators coming to um, just changing the way that they do things it might be the cost of, of doing um, a living now. If you're going to be in oil and gas, it's just the price you're going to pay to be an operator. But what are those? Uh, are there any other states looking at what you guys are doing? Yes. So New Mexico has been doing some similar things and continues to look at what Colorado has done. The federal government under the Biden administration is looking at many of the things that have happened here. So I think a lot of this will filter down into other states. And I think to your point, part of this is the cost of doing business in, in the 21st century. And so operators in states that are uh, proactive and can get ahead of this, I think would be a, a, a wise thing to do and to um, you know, understand that, that these types of rules are, are coming your way and there are things you can do to sort of get out ahead of it. And uh, we started here 
uh, gosh, 10 years ago, one of the first methane laws uh, in the country was passed here in Colorado. A lot of leak detection and repair. Um, you know, methane was associated with something like 84% of the leaks that came from oil and natural gas development. So detecting and fixing those leaks was a really important part of what we were doing uh, here in Colorado based on a, that 2014 uh, law. So we saw the number of Eldar inspections go up dramatically between 2014 and, and 2020. In fact, I believe we had about a half million of those inspections done in 2020 alone. And the good news is they identified uh, leaks less than 3% of the time when they were looking at uh, in those inspections. So really just some, some positive news there again. Positive data there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let, Dan, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to switch gears and I want to move off of Colorado and let's start moving into D.C. and the politics that are coming out of uh, Washington, D.C. You're listening to the New Old Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Haley, President and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan, before the break, uh, we were talking a lot about the achievements that uh, Colorado has benefited from the oil and gas energy, just kind of figuring their way out of how to do things cleaner and greener uh, in producing oil and natural gas. Uh, but I want to switch gears. Kudos to what you guys are accomplishing there. But let's switch gears and talk about there's a lot going on in oil and gas, as always. And I love to, to try to get um, the associations to, to tell us what is happening, how you guys feel it from a association that represents the oil and gas industry. And I want to start with um, Biden and uh, the warning that he gave the industry about uh, to oil and gas, do not hike uh, oil prices over, um, Ian, and I am trying to understand and wrap my head around what is the purpose of saying something like that when that is not the case whatsoever. So give me your spin on what, what was, what was that warning about? Sure. Uh, this has been hugely frustrating, uh, since the president came into office and these attacks on our industry. He started with campaigning saying, we're gonna end oil and gas, we're gonna end hydraulic fracturing, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna allow them to do it. And then only to see gasoline prices go up, to see oil prices go up, and then to turn to us and say, why aren't you drilling more? When you've created an atmosphere which makes it very difficult to drill, when you've created an atmosphere that has a chilling effect on the investment community, when they're looking at the future, of, do they wanna invest in this resource when the President of the United States is, is saying these things? So. Again, this week, it's sort of these preemptive attacks on our industry, and they're really getting, really getting tired. I think it's important for people to understand we do not set the price of oil, natural gas, or gasoline. Supply and demand, market forces all play a role in setting those, those costs. And you know, this is why you see the president depleting the Strategic Petroleum Reserves ahead of the midterms. He's trying to address these supply challenges that were caused in part by his administration's push to reduce oil and, and gas. So just Correct. like Europe's supply crisis that they're dealing with, seeing the skyrocketing demand and prices there. If this hurricane impacts our industry's ability to extract and refine products that our country uses every day, then demand could cause prices to increase. But the president insisting uh, that he doesn't you know, demonize this industry, yet you see things like what he said yesterday. It's just the latest example of how the approach that he's taking with this industry, which is just 
not helpful when you consider how important it is, given all that's happening in the world and the need to be energy secure and to make sure the United States is producing the energy it needs and that it can, and if we can get that energy to our allies across the globe. Correct. And, and he did make a promise of that he, we were going to help um, our allies uh, who have found themselves in the same situation, it seems like to me, we're heading down the same path. We're um, really being heavily um, subsidized with, um, you know, the wind, solar, and they're not so reliable in certain weather conditions. Um, we're also having a lot of regulatory uh, concerns that the oil and gas industry has to deal with, not to mention the ESG environmental, um, uh, God, environment burial, type that in in a minute because I'm not looking at that. Envi the ESG, which I have to yep. say it for years. Um, we're dealing with them taking money away from operators to be able to, uh, you know, continue to drill. And then now we have Hurricane uh, uh, Ian, who will probably take off 10% of the oil production. And it just keeps what you're saying, Dan, it keeps just coming back to me that you keep saying these things and yet you're doing the opposite of making sure that we don't drill. So let's, I, I want to start with, I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me too. This is why we have the show is to try to help people understand just because you're hearing something isn't necessarily truthful. Will you talk about the strategic petroleum reserve? What is it there for? And what was the challenges of the Biden administration removing it? Because it's coming to an end. We'll, he'll be pulling it out and having to replace it. Um, what was this all about? So the strategic reserves was created in the 1970s after the Arab oil embargo, and it was designed for those, those supply shocks when you didn't have, you didn't have access to energy. It was never designed to bring down gasoline prices during a midterm election, which is what's been happening now as they added a million barrels of oil to the market every day. So right now, gasoline prices have come down. There are a couple of different uh, schools of thought out there. One of them is that tapping the strategic petroleum reserve did bring down prices. The other is that there's been an economic slowdown uh, beginning in China, and so you've seen demand come down, which is why prices have gone down. If prices went down because the strategic reserve was tapped, that is set to end, ironically, right after the midterm election. So if that's the case, and they begin to fill that back up, it's at its lowest point since December of 1984 right now. So as they begin to buy that back up at $80 oil, you're gonna see the price of gasoline go up again afterwards. So it really is playing politics with uh, prices and with with people, and I just don't think that's the right thing for this for this country to be doing. Instead, we should embrace a policy, a coherent energy policy that establishes we're going to drill for this resource here in this country because it's important. The president could have brought down gasoline prices at the beginning of the summer instead of tapping the strategic reserves if he simply had come out and said, "You know what? I miscalculated this energy transition. We know we need this resource for the foreseeable future. We're going to develop it here in this country." First, before we rely on other people, we're going to get this out to our allies who are burning coal. We're going to get them clean burning gas from the Colorado Rockies. And we're going to bring down, you know, emissions and help climate change. Had he done that, I think you would have seen prices come down overnight because, again, that's a signal to the investment community that we're going to we're going to produce this resource here in this country instead of demonizing it and you know, tapping reserves, which is what he ended up doing. 
Well, we're going to take another break, but when we come back, I want to talk about or get your opinion on. So now we're seeing prices going back up again, right? And it seems to be uh, a little bit unstable again. And I, I know that it has a lot to do with there's just more than one item here. There's a lot going on all over the world. You've got Russia, Ukraine, uh, Europe, and then you've got us. I'd like to get into your thoughts on what are we going to see? Why are the oil, why are prices fluctuating again? And where do we finally see stability from now to the end of the year? But let's take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. We'll be right back. The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th, as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaports.org. It's Kay Traver at aapaports.org. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit yamahaviking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Haley, the president and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan, before the break, um, we were kind of just talking about the Biden administration and... um, seems as though they say one thing and kind of do another. They've been doing this since the beginning of his administration. And now we're at a place where um, we talked about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I want to get your opinion on we're starting to see movement again of up and down erratic uh, prices um, for crude. Um, does this stabilize? What's causing this uh, this time around? And I'm, I'm assuming you're going to say it's a big amount of stuff all coming together but I want to get I want you to tell the listeners why are we seeing this again and what happens um in that does it stay this way to the end of the year and 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 do we have also a another situation occurring with the blends that are switching in the ethanol at the pumps how are all this fitting together yeah so just as you it's said complicated. There, are, there are a lot of different <laughs> factors at play it is very complicated you see, you know, the, the Biden administration has wanted to blame all of this on Vladimir Putin and the invasion of Ukraine, and that is certainly a piece of this. Another piece of it is COVID and the shutdowns and the and the, the you know the cratering of demand. And now we come back and we, you know, it's not as easy as simply turning the spigot and beginning to produce more oil. Uh, you've got global supply issues in Europe. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. Fascinating in a kind of a, a morbid sense. It's going to be really unfortunate to watch what's gonna happen there this winter with the lack of uh, natural gas in, in, in parts of Europe. Uh, they're looking in, in Great Britain, utility bills are supposed to rise 80% this fall and inflation could hit 22%. A third of, the, of that country's residents could succumb to poverty this winter because of, of those costs. I think you'll continue to see higher um, oil prices for the foreseeable future. 
on that basic high school economic supply and demand issue. Uh, there's going to just be less supply as we go forward for all those reasons we just talked about. And so you're going to continue to see those higher prices. I think natural gas prices are going to remain high as well, uh, which is what really is going to hit people in the pocketbook uh, this winter. It's going to start. You'll see it in Europe at a much greater level than you'll see it in this country, but it will begin to hit uh, this country this winter time too. And it's going to be a shock for people when their bills come. And then you have to think about all the other things that that impacts including fertilizer and fertilizer costs. And what does that do for agriculture and, the, and how much it, it costs to you know, the grow the food that we rely on across the globe. So this will have, this will reverberate across the globe uh, this winter. And again, right now in this country, we have an incoherent energy policy. What is our energy policy? It's to transition to renewables um, in, in, in by 2030, 2040, some unrealistic dates. So we're relying on unreliable energy sources and, and asking, begging Saudi Arabia to produce more oil for this country. Uh, again, I, I, I overuse the word frustration, but it is, it is frustrating when we have the resources we need under our feet, but we do not have the political will to get them out of the ground and get them to the people who need them. Well, you know, Dan, it was very telling when um, President Biden said that he wanted to speak to the executives in oil and gas, and then they wound up getting shuffled around to the Secretary of Energy, and he chose to meet with the executives from wind and solar on renewables. And, and I, have a, I believe my stance is that we should be open to all forms of energy because we need it. So there isn't a winner or loser, but anybody listening who thinks that we can get off oil and gas anytime soon is very, very misinformed. And all that happens is we just continue to pay more for, like you said, very poor policies that are not coherent at all. There's, there's, there's no understanding rhyme or reason why we're doing these things. But I think we have a model to look forward to, and that's Europe. And what you said, um, we should pay attention to this winter when it's actually going to take people who probably were uh, considered to be um, middle income earners into now their poverty because what they don't understand is their utility bills. Uh, this is natural gas we're talking about, and it's it's going to get extremely high. You said 80% of their bills are going to go, go up to 80% of their bills. Can you imagine that happening here? So we see, I see the model unfolding in Europe. Are we smart enough to pay attention? And when we go to the polls, you know, we have to look at who we're voting for because people who believe this, um, we're going to continue to pay higher prices. We're going to take a quick break. I want to talk about North Stream Pipeline, what's happening with Russia, and continue the conversation about what's happening in Europe, because I think it's important the American people see it and uh, start paying attention to that. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 
We're back. You're listening to you in the Wallpatch Radio Show. My guest today is Jan Haley, who is the president and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Um, Dan, let's switch gears and talk about the Ukraine invasion, Russia, um, uh, Putin, and of course, this now new uh, situation that's happening with their Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea. They've already detected four leaks. It's um, shut down. And uh, a lot of the reports kind of believe a lot of the media reports are coming out are saying that Putin's behind this, that they, he really wants wanted to cut off <laughs> uh, Europe from his uh, pipeline. And he didn't he didn't want to be left holding the bag, if you will. So, of course, we we, we now have a problem with uh, the North Stream pipeline that actually provides the energy that they need. What is happening there? Explain to us, uh, was this strategically done? How is this going to affect the people? And what kind of uh, outcome are they going to see? Yeah, well, I certainly can't speculate as to the Nord Stream pipeline and, and what happened there other than what I've read in, in, in media reports. But I can tell you that this puts a highlight or a spotlight on how important energy is to our lives and how important it is to become energy secure and develop this resource here in the United States. We go back you know, long enough where we talked about fighting wars for oil. We didn't need to do that anymore because we were producing our own oil here, but we were always thinking about the Middle East and, and wars in the Middle East. But now you see this war happening in Europe and you have uh, someone like Vladimir Putin who's trying to establish energy dominance through military dominance. There's a reason why you know, many reasons why he moved into Ukraine. And part of that is energy. And it's not just natural gas, but it's lithium for, for batteries, for EVs and different things that are, are found in, in Ukraine. So here we find ourselves uh, in, in, you know, participating in via funding, uh, watching a, a pro or, you know, this kind of proxy war happening in Europe. And a lot of it, you know, there's a, there's a, there are many factors at play but part of it is, is energy. It just shows you how important it is that we are relying on the United States. And this is where we had talked about in the last segment in Europe. They wanted to transition too fast to renewables that were just not ready, shut down nuclear plants, and they relied on Russia for their gasoline. In parts of Great Britain a few years ago, they were importing wood from the United States to burn for power. That's, that's not an environmental solution. That's not a 21st century solution to our energy. So I think we have to be very careful, watch very carefully what's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine and how, how it relates to energy and how, you know, how we respond to that, I think will be very important. And one of those reasons ought to be developing our, our resources. As you pointed out, uh, the world needs energy. It, I believe it's a human right. And so I am all the above as well. I, am, I obviously advocate for the oil and natural gas industry. We have 7 billion people on this planet. A billion people do not have access to any electricity. Uh, another billion have access to intermittent electricity, meaning it shuts off for days on end or, or throughout the day. They deserve the same things that we've, we've grown accustomed to in this country, and that is when we get up in the morning, the lights go on, and you've got power. You're already starting the day off better than about 2 billion people on the planet if you're living in this country. So a long way of saying um, we need to be very careful about what's happening over there and understand the important role that energy plays in the world. 
Well, and I think also it's worth mentioning. So I didn't really specify that the Nord Stream pipeline is, is a pipeline that runs through the Baltic and it, and it basically gives gas uh, from Russia to Germany. However, it was reported over there that there was a large explosion and they're leveling it right at Putin's feet of saying this was deliberate and it was intentional. So when you mentioned how we have had to go into unnecessary wars in the past, especially in the Middle East, because of this very specific reason, and yet we're kind of moving in that same direction that we are over-regulating the oil and gas industry. We have an abundance here in the United States. We're paying more, we're getting less. We can't help our allies in Europe because we're not producing enough. And we're now we're depleting our own strategic petroleum reserves, which was really also created for war times. In case we have a war, we need that energy yep. to fight that war. And so when you talk about the Biden administration and like, what kind of a policy is this? Because maybe a, a 12 year old could have probably put together a more cohesive policy than what we have here. <laughs> we, we need to learn the lessons of the past. And we have not done that here. We've forgotten there's, you know, I think you have to be 50 years or older to remember sitting in gas lines. So a good chunk of the country doesn't remember what it was like in the early 1970s when we were beholden to cartels and hostile That's governments right. for, for our energy. That's right, Dan. Uh, you know what? And uh, okay, I won't say my age, but I do remember that. <laughs> Me and, too. And for the, yeah, and for the listeners that don't really remember it or were too young, you know, I don't know about you, but I was living in Houston at the time. Uh, and I can remember there would be two to three mile long uh, lines and, and and you didn't want to be the guy that took the last uh, of the right. gas because this is when fights would break out uh, literally fist fighting was occurring and you just saw the really horrible things that happen when societies start breaking down this is not where we want to go folks and, it, and we shouldn't have to if we do it like you said in a responsible way of you know converting eventually but uh too fast is looking at Europe and that's our future. Um, let's talk about the recession and, um, and the oil and gas industry. What, what are your executives telling you about? Are they uh, fearful of a recession coming and the supply chain shortages and uh, things like that? What are, are How positive is the uh, executives in oil and gas of where we're heading from now to the end of the year? Yeah, so we're in a different situation in Colorado where we're, our concern here is really trying to work through this new regulatory structure uh, that's been put into place in the last two years and to make sure that we can get some permits out of the state. And so I feel they are cautiously optimistic when they look at the future of Colorado and kind of where we're heading right now and being able to get these permits out. There have certainly been supply chain issues uh, in terms of equipment and different things needed for, for drilling, but I haven't heard much about that lately so hopefully that issue is sort of working itself out but i think people are are i would i guess i would use the words cautiously optimistic as they look toward the future very good well i guess we'll have to wait and see um let's take a quick break when we return i want to try to switch gears and talk a little bit about output um and where you see us going with that you're listening to in the old patch radio show and we'll be right back 
The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaports.org. That's ktraver at aapaports.org. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. And we're back. You're listening to an All Patch Radio show. My guest today is Dan Haley, President and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan, let's, in our final segment, I want to try to leave our listeners with some outward look um, or view. We have um, a lot of things going on in the world, especially when we talk about Europe, Russia, China, and of course here. Um, but I'd like to see what you think as far as forecasting. What is the out oil output? Uh, is it going to grow here with all the situation and the problems that we're having with the, this administration? Is uh, the energy industry going to rise to the occasion and provide more? Considering that we have OPEC Plus meeting October the 5th, and they're really considering uh, cutting substantial oil production, which I'd like to get your opinion. Doesn't sound like a good idea to me of how it's going to help us, but uh, tell us what you think first on can we produce more? I I will always bet on the side of American oil and gas producers. If this is where we're heading, I will always put my money down on, on the men and women who work in this industry of doing what they need to do to get us to where we need to go. They have always done it. They've innovated. They've uh, engineered their way around problems and found solutions. And I, I have full faith that they can you know, produce the energy that we need. But again, I'll come back to, we need a coherent energy policy that allows for it. We need Congress people to stop dragging bank executives into an inquisition in Congress and telling them to stop funding oil and gas. We had a, a representative tell a bank executive this past week that, or to tell, she said out loud to young people, that they should defund this bank and stop investing in this particular bank. And to me, I, I don't, sometimes I question what, what country I'm living in. We've got, uh, you know, people in Congress telling people to, to make a run on the banks because they're investing in a product that every single one of us uses every single day and will need for the long foreseeable future. So there are several things that we need to continue to see happen in this country. That's one of them, to stop demonizing this industry, to understand the importance of it and, and where we're heading. And, and we talked about energy transition in a recent segment. Uh, and I wanted to point out something that Chris Wright, the CEO of, of Liberty Energy, uh, a point that he made, he looked at the energy transition and said, at its current rate, at its current rate of transition, we will fully transition to renewables 
in the mid 2600s, 600 years from now. Now granted, there'll be changes in technology and things can move along quicker, but it's an important thing to understand for people to understand that this is not going to happen overnight. The technology doesn't allow for it. And so we cannot rely on unreliable energy and electricity in, in, in the 21st century. So a long, a long way of saying, I feel like a lot of things will line up in our favor in terms of what we're going to see happen in, in Europe. We will continue to see demand for this product because the economy will continue to grow. We're gonna add 3 billion people to the planet by 2050. They are going to need energy. They're gonna need access to affordable, efficient, and abundant energy. That comes from natural gas, that comes from oil. And so I'm, I'm confident that this, there's a, a strong future for this industry, but what would be helpful is a coherent energy policy coming from the top. And Dan, I know you're not a scientist, nor am I, but all the data suggests that for the amount of, you know, we should be trying to recycle and, and doing things greener. I, I'm not opposed to yeah. any of that. That's a great idea. But the amount of what we will change the course, if we were to stop right now, you know, there's a listener that's saying, but what, you know, we doesn't matter what price we need to pay, you know, it's about the climate. And yeah. them, I'm saying we get it, but if you just unplug, millions of people will die all over the world instantly. Um, you know, what about the elderly people that are needing um, some kind of a, a surgery or transplant or a ventilator? These all things run. We cannot survive in the dark without our air conditioners and our lights. Um, and this is happening to a lot of people that they don't understand the big picture. But I guess more importantly, it's really if we're looking at that long of a period and the amount that we're going to change, yet you have countries like India and China that are not moving towards or as fast as we are, and they don't have to for 20 years, and they continue to be some of the biggest polluters on the planet. Right. And we put this, we, we understand that somebody is not telling the truth about what's really happening here. Um, and I don't want to go into the whole money situation, but I, I believe there's a lot of reasons why financially uh, we are being told that this is the things that we need to do versus really, is this a real reality? So well, I know I get a lot of emails and, and that's okay, but um, that's just I think my... That's a great conversation to have, Kim. We have to talk about the environment. The environment's important. We all live here, right? So the goal needs to be clean air. The goal needs to be clean water. But we also have to have realistic discussions about how we're going to get there and the energy that's going to be needed. There are trade-offs to every single energy source out there. There are certainly pros and cons to oil and natural gas, just as there are to electric vehicles and the batteries that are required for electric vehicles. There's a, there's a, a wind turbine graveyard in Casper, Wyoming, where they're burying the blades from wind turbines because they can't be recycled. So there are trade-offs to every single thing. We just need to have that realistic discussion about what we need for energy. And I far be it for me to defend China or India, but you know why they're polluting? Because they're creating all of our stuff for us. We stopped manufacturing in this country and we've decided it's okay to punt our environmental issues over to China and India and have them make stuff for us and then ship it back overseas. That's not an environmental solution. We're punting our issues elsewhere on the planet. Again, part of a broader discussion that needs to be had. We need to bring manufacturing back into this country know that it's okay to make things here. And I bet we'd make them cleaner than they're gonna make them in, in China or India. So a lot of you know a lot of what we've done in the last several years is put our head in the sand and, and hope for the best. And, 
And I think we're hitting a, a point now where we can't do that anymore. And we need to have honest conversations about where we're going uh, as, a, as a globe and as certainly as a country. I agree. And I think for our elected officials that go out and demonize the energy industry, they should take like the, the challenge of a two week, try living two weeks without any energy yeah. and see how long you really last. You won't energy. last long. If I could just um, be real quick here, energy is the, the underpinnings of our modern society. Look at, at, look at the uh, COVID, the pandemic. We survived largely because of oil and natural gas. The natural gas needed to do the cold storage for uh, the, the vaccine, the plastic that became the vials, the plastic that people put up around their restaurants outside, the, the propane they used to heat those tents. I mean, we needed oil and natural gas to survive that pandemic. It's a huge part of our lives in the 21st century. It makes things better. That's correct, Dan. I'm going to leave with one quick question, which is OPEC Plus, October 5th meeting. Which way are you leaning? Are they going to do a substantial cut and make matters worse? Uh, I, you know, I really shouldn't speculate. My guess is that they will, they will do a cut, um, but it remains to be seen. Well, Dan, thank you for, for coming and, and talking to us today about what's going on in Colorado. For anybody listening who wants to join a member, where do we send them to? What's your website? Koga.org, and you can get a lot of information there. We've got a lot of the things that we've talked about under our, our fact sheets, and hope people can go there and, and find what they're looking for. Perfect, and that's Koga, C-O. GA, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan, thank you again for stopping by and uh, talking to us about what's happening in your area. We look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. We'll be right back.